0: everybody. This is Chris and Kathy. We wanted to take a minute to thank you all for
1: tuning in. We appreciate every listener and are grateful for this platform. Please help us share our vision by subscribing to our show through your favorite streaming app. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Petability Podcast. Check out our
0: ever-growing list of affiliates and sponsors. Simply go to the show notes for information and
1: links. And be sure to use our promo code PETPOD22, that's P-E-T-P-O-D-2-2, on checkout to receive your discount from our affiliates. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Malone Landa,
2: CEO of MedcoVet, and I'm a proud sponsor of Petability. We decided to partner with Chris and Kathy because, like them, we want to empower all pet owners who are trying to do the most for their pets. At MetcoVet, we specialize in advanced home laser therapy for pets. Laser therapy is a safe and effective treatment for common conditions like arthritis and wounds, and it relieves pain for most conditions caused by inflammation. With MetcoVet, pet owners can perform this treatment at home while receiving support from experienced clinicians. If you think your pet would benefit from healing at home, visit MetcoVet.com, and one of our clinical experts will work with you to
1: determine if home laser therapy is the right fit For you and your pet. Tell them PetAbility sent you. Welcome to PetAbility. I'm your host, Kathy Simons.
0: And I'm your host, Chris Cranston. Our podcast provides interviews and information to help your pets live their best lives.
1: We have a great interview today, Chris. Today, we are going to be speaking with Martin Kaufman, the founder of OrthoPets in Denver, Colorado. Um, And I just want to give you a little bit of background on Martin because Martin is an uh, orthotic and prosthetic technologist, and he has worked for several organizations, including Shriners Hospital, in designing, fabricating, and fitting custom orthotics and prosthetic devices. And in 2003, Martin founded OrthoPets. So he's been making and and fitting uh, animals for orthotic and prosthetic devices since 2003 with a mission to improve mobility for animals through innovative custom veterinary orthotics and prosthetic solutions. I started working with OrthoPets in about 2005. At the time, I was working at Sterling Impression Animal Rehab Center, and we were looking for good bracing alternatives for our patients, right? And that's how we found Martin at OrthoPets. And our relationship continued from there, and Martin has fabricated many orthotics for us and improved the lives of so many of our patients over the years. Uh, Most recently, a goat named Jerry, who we will talk about later in the show. But please welcome Martin Kaufman to the show. Yay, Martin.
2: Great to be here. Thanks for for having me, and I look forward to our discussion today.
1: Me too. Uh, me too. Um, I'm interested, Martin, to know how how you how you got how did this journey happen for you. You started out working with people, and you transitioned into working with animals. Can you just sort of briefly describe how this journey into becoming this industry leader happened for you?
2: Absolutely. Uh, in a brief, uh, summary, I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. I was around animals as a kid and really got to embrace the idea that you can build and you can create uh, with purpose. And I found myself in the the human profession of orthotics and prosthetics and really enjoyed working with children. That was my Shriners Hospital career. Hmm. But within that opportunity was uh, this unexpected gift, uh, traveling home. My cousin's little schnauzer named Walt, Walt Disney, had had a stroke. And uh, I was naive to the veterinary community at that point in my career. And my cousin asked me if I could help her vet make some kind of a device to help Walt get around. Um, And that led to, to this big question and this gift of, well, what could we do? From the human profession of orthotics and prosthetics, how could we serve our animal friends? And that was the beginning way back in the early 2000s. And it blossomed from there as we explored that idea how can we help our animal patients, our animal friends?
0: Your story is similar to so many others, I think, in, in the animal uh, world, you know, veterinary community and so forth. The things have sprung out of necessity. Right. Mm-hmm. And as we, our psyche around our pets has changed and, and so forth over the years, uh, you know, it just happens rather organically. you know.
2: And mm-hmm. that that idea of serving our animal friends is they do so much for us. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. such a gift to be able to experience the opportunity uh, to give back uh, and help them regain uh, their function, their quality of life.
1: It's such a good feeling to see that you've that you've made such an impact on an animal mm-hmm. um, when they start having that that regaining that function and and just sort of engaging in the things that bring them joy. You know, that's Absolutely. it's such a good feeling. Absolutely. So
0: before we get too far along, you know, we've thrown out these terms: orthotics, prosthetics, and. For those who may have not had the need, um, fortunately, they may not be familiar with, with what that means. Martin, can you define uh, an orthotic, a prosthetic, what's the difference, and so forth?
2: Yeah, yeah, I love those questions. The uh, The big difference when we look at it from the high level, prosthetics mean that our animal friend has lost some portion of their limb, maybe a front leg or a back leg, but they've they've lost it. Maybe that was through an injury, or maybe they were just born with a partial leg. So the prosthesis is the replacing of the missing limb segment. The orthotic is, uh, the leg is there, but something is injured. Um, there's an injury and the, the animal, the, our animal friend can't support themselves anymore. So our brace, our orthotic is going to stabilize their leg on behalf of these injured structures.
0: Right, so that's kind of what I think of when I try to simplify it for pet owners and and laypeople. Mm-hmm. I think of a prosthetic as a false limb. Like you said, you're you're replacing that missing portion uh, mm. with the prosthesis, and I think of the orthotic or as a brace, instead a mm-hmm. supportive structure. So, um, and I'm sure with some of your complicated uh, cases over the years, maybe even a combo right like oh, yeah
2: <laughs> the the diversity of our animal patients is amazing and you're exactly right uh, we call them the hybrid cases mm. so you're, you're supporting embracing and making up for limb length discrepancy uh, all things become integrated uh, with our animal friends there's such a diversity there
1: oh and you're just even trying to incorporate the you know, we have a patient who who Martin made a brace for not that long ago who's um, who had a carpal hyperextension injury, but the dog's also in a wheelchair. And so now I've got a, you know, now I've got a dog that has no function of a hind limb and now needs a brace for the, for the front end. And it's sort of a whole body experience, you know, of um, of making sure that we've got a prosthetic that's going to be functional for this dog and comfortable and can be used. In a manner with his wheelchair as well, so it's a whole body experience to try, you know, to, to get a prosthetic or orthotic for a dog. They're thinking of about the biomechanics of the whole dog, the dog as a whole, or the
2: patient as a whole. Yes, and I, I love that uh, that statement and that perspective. As we have such a complicated caseload, when you have four limbs or a version of four limbs all collaborating together to provide comfort and function. And then, how do you start thinking about these cases when parts of those limbs aren't working? Right. Integrating all of that into a, a solution that regains function. Such a great question. Such yeah. a great yeah. comment.
1: And it's, it's it's all about the function. <laughs> it's all about the uh-huh. function because it increase because it increases quality of life. Um, can we talk a little bit, Martin, about some of the some of the goals about using uh, braces and prosthetic limbs? What mm-hmm. are we? What are the goals in 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 you know? or the the benefits to to the prosthetic, prosthetics or bracing?
2: Yeah, when we think about uh, goals for orthotics and prosthetics, uh, maybe we'll just put them all together in one lump yeah. to start. Usually, it all starts with, my dog, my pet can't. And there's mm. usually a list of things that occur after can't. And then that's followed by, and I'm wondering if we could make something so that my pet can. Yeah. And there's that list right. of things that we'd like to regain. And in that becomes the discernment of, well, what could we do? And then if we could, how are we going to do that? Yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to be a part of this interview today is an old joke that I used to have with my colleagues uh, back in the Shriners Hospital days who were physical therapists. And we would say something like, well, I can build you this thing, uh, but I need your help for my patient to be able to use it. And I think that really comes into one of the the main goals that everybody has, which is, can we make a device so that my pet can go back to running and playing? Probably. Uh, But who are you working with to help your pet get back to using their leg? And I think that becomes a really interesting part of the goal, stabilizing uh, for injured limbs, uh, perhaps an alternative to a surgical intervention, or we're working with the surgeon as a different way to manage the recovery uh, after surgery. And all of those goals align with my pet can't and can we help my pet so that they can. Right. And we so you- leave that, go ahead.
0: Well, I was gonna say, so. You know, you're kind of talking about the, the team approach and the um, collaboration with the other professionals in this pet's life, the rehabilitationists, uh, physical therapists, pet techs, veterinarians, surgeons, so on and so forth.
1: And how important it is for the person that we, that we collaborate with to have an understanding of, bi- of how the biomechanics of our patients um, and, and really get that, you know, that, that's key. It's yes. important.
2: And you hit on that earlier when you stated uh, that we have to consider the whole dog, uh, mm-hmm. this whole perspective, and that is equally uh, appropriate to transition to us as uh, the helping community uh, supporting this return of comfort and function, mm-hmm. where we get to make these devices for um, helping to reduce the pain associated to injury, uh, increase function. So then we're speaking to well, if our patient is. Uh, lame can't use a limb because these are the reasons why we show up uh, with these orthotics and prosthetics and all that's great but a main goal is to collaborate with our sports medicine and rehab professionals to help these pets regain their function as fast as we can
0: yay right so martin are all of the the orthotics and prosthetics custom or do you offer off-the-shelf products as well?
2: Yeah, Um, so I'll first answer by saying, when we manufacture our devices, those are custom. I do have a product line of over-the-counter soft goods that are not prescription-based, that are intended to be used for either increasing comfort for mild injuries, or maybe that we could call it a strain, uh, as well as... um, adding in uh, compression and comfort uh, to just sore, painful joints that don't really have an orthopedic or neurological injury or presentation. So there's a small line of over-the-counter items, but the bulk of what we do is custom work.
0: Mm-hmm. So can you describe uh, with that, uh, it seems that you have kind of a two-fold approach where you provide of consulting, um, guidance, customer service, and then couple that with engineering. I know you have a lot of proprietary, mm-hmm. um, you know, manufacturing abilities and and so forth. So, uh, can you speak to that a little bit?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's a funny thing in manufacturing and engineering. Uh, we can come up with really great products, but if we can't educate and support those who use our process, it's kind of pointless. Uh, I, I learned that early on in my undergraduate degree, uh, when I was starting off in engineering before I got into orthotics and prosthetics, uh, it doesn't matter if you can build something really great. Can you support it? And can you help people through the process who are coming at this for the first time? And I think that speaks to the, the question you're asking me, the customer service side. So, uh, My vet nurses, our veterinary technicians who are my interface to the public, uh, they're trained on the biomechanics and how we educate them, yourselves included, as well as pet owners on what to do with these really cool devices that we're building and sending across the world. Mm -hmm. So being able to uh, describe and discuss how this device works, how to put it on, uh, how to interpret gait pattern. When you see a dog walking or a cat walking on one of these for the first time, you know, what to expect and what does that mean? So that really helps us bridge the gap between all of the advanced technologies that we have here at Orthopets for building and manufacturing and engineering our devices to, at the end of the day, mom and dad need to be able to put this on and go for that walk. Right. we got to bridge that gap.
0: Exactly, and I think, you know, just in talking to a lot of my pet owners over the years, um, you know, it can seem daunting to even, you know, take that first step for this process,
2: mm-hmm. and I think
0: it's important to, you know, let people know that their hands are going to be held to a certain degree, right? You're not just going to ship out this device and and here you go. Um, so, you know, I think that that is comforting as well to you know the caregivers of these pets that are getting these various braces and and mm. and such.
2: Yeah, because right. Right. there's a genuine uh, desire that my entire staff has uh, to remain in contact and to see the progression of our pets. You know, we work really hard here uh, to build really amazing items that we send, uh, and then to be a part of that. Individual pets' journey back to comfort and function—that's the satisfaction, and that drives what we do. So we love being able to have that relationship to see this progress. That's why we're here.
1: Uh, yeah, and I, when I went forward with OrthoPets, um, each one of our patients gets a, a case manager, which makes mm-hmm. it uh, which makes it very personal. It's very it's very nice to be able to call up and say, "I'd like to speak with you know Fluffy's." Know case right. manager. She knows Fluffy. She knows what Fluffy's had done. She's been in contact with the owner. So it really does make for you know this this great collaboration. And I and I love the fact that each one of them has a case manager who knows their patient.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Their go-to and, person. Their go-to person. The
1: go-to person. Right. Yeah yeah and um yeah, absolutely. i i kind of would like to go back and touch a little bit on you know the the acclimating these the owners acclimating the animals to to wearing the orthotic the orthotic or the prosthetic because you now i think that maybe there there might be a misconception that animals might that they might not acclimate to wearing a brace or an orthotic um or a prosthetic uh, which hasn't really been my experience but i understand you know owners concerns when there's like oh i don't know that my dog will wear that um and so we we work very carefully at our practice to make sure that we condition the dogs to or acclimate them you know uh, slowly and in a positive manner and i think it is possible of course to change the, the emotional response to, to things like wearing the brace, you know? Uh, so we, we work with uh, orthopets to, to acclimate to them to that. But, you know, I alluded to the fact earlier in the show that, that Martin and I had collaborated with a, on a, on a patient named Jerry, the goat, right. Mm-hmm. And um, Jerry came to us. Uh, when I was working at Sterling impression. Jerry had come to us for a second opinion. He had uh, a contracture of his, what I guess in human terms would probably be considered his wrist. Yeah. And, um, and the, the previous veterinarian gave them an option of euthanasia or amputation. And uh, neither one of those were really great options for us or for Jerry. Um, he was already essentially a three-legged goat. He wasn't really functioning well with that fourth leg. And we didn't think that you know amputation would improve his function. And so Dr. McMillan said, Call Martin. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yep. so I did, and we went through a series of uh, taking pictures and measurements and and video, and and Martin uh, guided us on how to do a cast molding of Jerry. Now, here's where you know I, I'm I'm very excited about it, but I have to tell you, Martin, I'm a little concerned about how I'm going to acclimate a goat to wearing. Um, <laughs> an orthotic. So in my mind, I'm thinking, this is his best shot. This is going to give him this best quality of life, but how am I going to get him to wear it? And how is mom going to be able to put it on? Mm -hmm. Um, And, and Jerry's not, you know, he's not particularly food motivated or, or attention motivated, but let me tell you, I I put that uh, orthotic on Jerry. And he took his first step and then he realized he could support his body and he was off and running mm-hmm. on the very first day. Now, of course, we, we, we told mom not to wear it all day long, and we did the acclimation, but to see that step, right, mm. and to have the, it was a very feel-good moment for me to realize what an impact. We had just changed this goat's life. He was competing for food with the other goats. He was getting sores on his limbs, mm-hmm. and he acclimated to wearing an orthotic, and he didn't eat it. He didn't nibble it, <laughs> which was great. So uh, you know, if Jerry can do it, I think it can be done. But what are your what are your thoughts on on acclimating these animals to wearing their devices?
2: Right. Uh, so this this uh, whole discussion on uh, the idea of we're going to put some kind of device on a dog, cat, lion, goat, uh, <laughs> goat. Take your pick here uh, on an animal's leg, uh, and. The uncertainty that comes with that, will my mm-hmm. pet, will this animal use this thing? And what we're really saying there is you know, we don't have a way to inform our animal patients of why we're doing this. Right. Uh, but that, that speaks to the underlying opportunity. We see our animal friends adapt so quickly to their injury. And they'll figure out a way to get from here to there the best that they can. And we all know that's universally true. That's just what our animal friends do. Uh, We could argue from the human side, that's not always the case for the human patient. Mm -hmm. We have this persistent desire, uh, and I would even say joy of our animal patients to just make it work the best that they can. Mm -hmm. So if we take that core belief and say, if our animal friend can very quickly adapt to their injury... Who's to say they're not able to quickly adapt to this new opportunity to get around with less pain, increased function, and then as we see them, being able to do more longer. Right. Uh, right. So ease, right? Ease
0: yeah. of movement. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: Right. It's it's such an organic, simple statement in that that's what our animal friends do. I just want to be able to do my thing, whatever that is, and I'd And if I find a better way, an easier way, a more comfortable way, I'm going to maximize that. And you saw that with Jerry. Um, We see it with cats. It's, it's a strange thing that cats do it too.
1: Right. Um, Uh, And I, I I, I wish you were there, Martin, when we put that, when we put Jerry's uh, orthotic on, because it just took him a minute to figure out this is already better. Um, This Mm -hmm. is already better. And um, he, he, he wears it. In fact, I think he just had it a uh, hundred thousand mile, uh, checkup on his brace <laughs> recently. <laughs> I talked to his mom the other day and he's yeah. doing great. But, yeah. um, you know, without this, without this orthotic, Jerry he probably would have been facing, um, he may have been facing euthanasia. He was having trouble keeping up with the other goats and, and getting yeah. food, competing for food and stuff like that. So now he's just back to doing what goats do, you know? Right.
2: <laughs> so let's let's go back and speak to uh, to the comments about that uh, device acclimation. What, what is its first couple of weeks like and, and even yeah. that first fitting day? Yeah. And I, I think there are some really key pieces here on both from, from our side as providers, but also for mom and dad at home, and what does this mean when I see my pet trying to use this device? Um, I like the phrase productive struggling. Hmm. We've not been able to really tell our animal friend why we're even putting this thing on and why they should use it. Right? That's just not a way that we can communicate. But what we can do is set them up for an opportunity to try. And one perspective I like to give our pet owners is, when we first put this device on, you know, we certainly couldn't tell you, your pet why and what to do with it once it's on. But we, we can create this environment where your pet can figure out either what not to do with the device or what to do with the device productively. So right. we're not running around. We're not doing really wild, crazy things. We're just trying to give an opportunity to productively use the leg and it's okay to struggle in that process
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know we've all struggled with learning something new and that's not bad right so when we see it from that lens it's productive it only takes a couple of weeks at most for most every single patient regardless of species mm-hmm. to be able to use these devices really well
1: yeah i've seen
0: that transformation uh recently in my neighborhood uh neighbor couple Box up. Her name is Courtney and she has a dog, Zoe, that recently received a prosthetic front limb. And mm-hmm. I saw her, you know, out on our walks, and you know, she was using it, um, but it looked a little awkward, a little clumsy. I the other day, this you know, fast forward about a month later, I'm meeting them on the street. I'm walking my dog, she's walking hers. And I didn't even recognize that, that it was Zoe until so we got my you video. Know, she's waving at me and I'm like, hi, you know, I wasn't sure who it was. And she's like, it's Courtney with Zoe. And I'm like, oh my God, because again, she had adapted <laughs> and was moving so smoothly, you know, in comparison. And uh, yeah. And, and she, I, when I introduced myself, cause I didn't know her until I saw her dog with the, the or ran over there and I'm like, oh my God, rehabilitation is tell me your story and, and uh, I knew we were gonna be interviewing you down the line and, and things yeah. like that so I gave her my card and and such and uh, she said that you or your company you know suggested rehabilitation so I you know offered that but even without that I mean this is a, a young dog that you know came up from the south had I think a botched, you know, kinda of amputation sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And um, you know, she she's adapting great, you know, so it's like great or Courtney's great, I'll you know, keep your card, I'll let you know. And I don't think you know, despite having, you know, I of course wanted to, you know, I'm like, yes, you need you need it because I selfishly <laughs> wanted to work with this dog. <laughs> But she really didn't
1: need it. A dog doesn't need us. <laughs> yes. yes.
2: And that's, I, I love that observation from the, the standpoint. Uh, I think our animal friends are all high-performance athletes. And I like how they can regain function pretty quick. Um, I just know that they can do so much more, especially with the help of rehab and sports medicine. They can mm-hmm. achieve things that it would just be unbelievable, uh, without the opportunity for uh, rehab and sports medicine.
0: Mm, yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about, you, you mentioned prostheses for hind limbs, front limbs. Mm. Does this require that um, the uh, a certain portion, I guess, of the limb uh, needs to be remaining in order for the prosthetic to be successful? Yeah.
2: Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's uh, so the really what we're asking is well what kind of candidacy what kind of patient what kind of a uh, uh, limb could we could we still keep uh, or have to be a a user of a prosthesis mm-hmm. uh, so let's just start with some common uh things between the front and the back leg, so the pelvic and thoracic limbs uh if we were to first say uh we're solving for two main variables for prosthetics. Uh, The first and foremost, we need to solve for suspension. Somehow this thing has to stay on this partial leg. So the prosthesis needs to be able to gain suspension on a limb. And the other variable is, well, how far is it to the ground from the end of this uh, residual limb, Mm. so that partial leg? So when we look at those two um, aspects that we need to solve for we then begin to find uh, a threshold where we have to have a certain amount of leg lift and that partial leg that is left needs to have function. Uh, And so what we're really speaking to there is front leg versus back leg. Let's go through some basic criteria there. Uh, I think it helps understand and frame the use of prosthetics Uh, in the front leg what we have found through a lot of (laughs) research and a lot of testing we need to have a portion of what we would call in the human side the forearm so we need the elbow joint and we need a portion uh, we've estimated right around 30 percent of the forearm remaining Hmm. and when we say that what we're also saying is we have an elbow joint that we can gain suspension on. We can essentially hang on top of the elbow joint. But also it means that this patient has a functional shoulder and elbow so that when the patient wants to lay down or jump over something, they have those two primary joints to articulate and to use their prosthesis. When we look at the length of the forearm, of the radius and ulna, brachium, whichever version of that term we want to use, mm-hmm. what we're really saying is how much limb length does the patient bring to the table and how much prosthetic length are they trying to control? So when we get down to the biomechanics, we're looking at length of lever arm. How much does this patient have of their own leg to control this long prosthesis that's working both for them and against them when you get to it. And that's the line that we're looking at. Can the patient control this prosthesis? Mm -hmm. And if they can, how much force is acting against their leg and how do you design a prosthesis to be comfortable given those variables? Um, Another component here that I've seen out on uh, out on, on the web a lot is front leg, full limb amputations, and these kind of versions of prosthetics that I've seen out there that are essentially a a long prosthetic extension from the chest of the dog down to the ground. And what we have found through our research and, and through our testing, without those shoulder and elbow joints present, the device might offer Some benefit when we're standing to rest on like a peg leg. Mm. Uh, But we've also taken away significant function in that pet's ability to lay down and to get back up. Mm. And part of our responsibility in this profession is to make sure that we're increasing function and we're not taking away that critical transition from standing to laying down. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I think that's a really important distinction there. So the front leg, just below the elbow, uh, the longer the patient's limb is, we would expect more function as an outcome. Mm -hmm. That's our front leg. Uh, Same kind of story in the back leg, where we look at the stifle, which is the dog's knee joint. We're looking for around 40%, so just a little bit longer than the front leg, uh, below the dog's stifle. Um, And that has a lot to do with the the mechanics of the dog stifle, and the same is true for different species. Um, so usually in the back leg, we're looking for a little bit longer limb segment uh, to be a functional candidate. But we can do it with that about forty percent of the uh, the tibia, which would be like our shin in the human term. Yeah, so that's that's the the general statement for prosthetic candidacy.
0: I love this this translation, I guess, of you know physics and forces and lever arms, all this to bodies, you know, whether they're human or animal, and that's the biomechanics, right? So, as you were you know discussing all this, I I was brought back to that college lecture, and I'm like, yes, I knew there was a reason that I suffered through that. <laughs>
2: Oh, yes. Uh, the, the physics um, and the, the beauty of, of force uh, that, the, that the patient brings to the ground and the ground pushes back up to the patient, when you see that and predict that force and you know where it's occurring and what muscles are responding, muscle firing and timing, when you get into the core biomechanics, uh, there's so many opportunities to assist our patients Whatever the treatment goal was, prosthetic or the orthotic, and it can be a little bit uh, cumbersome when you're trying to communicate uh, advanced biomechanics uh, to owners. But when we do, it allows us to speak very simply about the design of the device and why every little part of that device is important because it's it's serving a purpose to control a reaction force vector, control the force of rotation, there's a lot of variables there. The the simplicity of the engineering and the the design of any prosthetic or orthotic is each part and piece has a reason. It's serving some purpose. Nothing is added just because it looked cool. Everything has a reason.
0: Although your devices do look cool. That's just, an added, <laughs> that's
1: just an added
2: bonus. <laughs> an added bonus. Yes. Yes. I will compliment my wife and my staff uh, for bringing the uh, the aesthetic quality to the that's device. Right. I would black and white engineering. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they do a nice job. They do a nice job.
2: Yes, they so, do.
1: Um, Martin, what do you, what is the most common request that you get? I mean, I imagine that, that uh, braces for dogs with CCL tears must be high on that list. What's the most common request you get?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll answer it twofold. The most common request for a device that we receive uh, tends to be the the cruciate brace. So mm-hmm. on the human side, we would call it the ACL, the CCL in the dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's that canine cruciate brace is usually the most common, but it's also regional. Out here in the West, we have a lot of Achilles tendon injuries. Oh. Uh, out on the East Coast, a lot of carpus, carpal hyperextension. Right. Uh, so it's wow, a little. That's reasonable. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Who
0: thunk? That's a total aha moment for me. So
2: it is. Uh, I, I was surprised to see the trend uh, when mm-hmm. we've published previous research, uh, we began to see these demographics show up, and it was quite interesting. But a common thread is the cruciate, the that dog ACL, right. uh, really across the breeds. Uh, that is definitely the most common
1: can we um can we talk a little bit about your c c l brace because I want to talk about what makes your design uh unique because from a rehab perspective when i'm thinking about you know if I have a patient who maybe doesn't qualify for surgery for whatever reason, maybe they just maybe medically they can't um, you know, we think about bracing, but then in my mind, I go, okay, well, the brace needs to be on a on a limb that's, that it doesn't slip off of, you know. And so, when the dog's standing, they're always in its in flexion, that knee, so it slides off. Um, I also want to make sure that I'm not going to get uh, that the dog's not going to get pressure sores or rubbing sores, and I also want to have a brace that supports the dog in the plane that mm. they need it. So maybe not necessarily a side to side support, but maybe a maybe front to back. Um, and I find that um, the orthoped's brace for the CCL is fantastic. And I know sometimes you have the tarsal tar- 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 cuff. I'm not, Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, maybe you could just speak a little bit about that because I think that, um, I, I think this is a superior brace for, mm. for these dogs with CCLs and we've used them on many occasions with many dogs.
2: Well, I can first answer in the affirmative. It is a superior uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. you're not biased at
1: <laughs> all I agree I, I mean I, I agree
2: <laughs> and, and the reason I will answer that in the affirmative mm-hmm. without hesitation mm-hmm. one of the primary values that I hold as someone who has entered into the profession of helping uh, humans mm-hmm. or animals take your pick um, evidence based approach to the idea of what we're going to do first Then we design and build and test and create. So I'm the only company who manufactures orthotics and prosthetics for animals that has published research that we had tested with independent universities. One is down at uh, University of Louisville, Kentucky. And that's where we designed a a model of a canine stifle where we demonstrated what happens when a cruciate ligament is uh, torn or ruptured. Let's just understand that that model. So we took the physics, we applied it to the canine stifle. We were able to replicate what some of the previous authors of research had uh, reported. Like This is what happens when a cruciate ligament is ruptured. So we've got the model right first. And then we tested surgical interventions along with cruciate brace intervention and compared forces and loading for meniscus function, range of motion, all of those variables. So we just first tested the idea. Can you do it? And that model showed that we could and that we're very effective. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, equal to and better than some of the surgical interventions regarding force. So that was exciting. It's amazing.
1: I know. Yeah, yeah it's exciting, exciting for me too.
2: <laughs> it was. And it really it showed us both we can control. What we're talking about here is we're controlling tibial thrust. So the lower leg thrusting forward and and moving away from the femur and becoming unstable. Uh, But importantly for us in the rehab side of things, we were also able to improve the compression against the medial and lateral menisci, those soft little pads in our knee joints. And we were able to do that better than some of the surgical interventions, Uh, speaking to the the two big ones. uh, We'll leave those unmentioned at this point. So we did that and that's exciting. We also put it into practice, and we published a study with CSU, Colorado State University, uh, where we reported on hundreds of patients who had received my cruciate brace, and we reported on those outcomes. So when, when I say uh, our brace is superior, it's because we can demonstrate its efficacy. Mm-hmm. And for you as a, as a rehab professional and for those, our owners out there, we're solving in orthotics for two questions. Just like prosthetics, how are we going to keep this thing on the leg so it does not fall off? A
1: slide, yeah.
2: <laughs> and then mechanically speaking, how do we do the job we say we're doing? And you brought up a really critical point. You stated, "I'm interested in supporting a very specific abnormal motion, and I don't need to eliminate or restrict or take away normal motion." And that's such a critical statement. Huh. For dog function, and I had mentioned it earlier with prosthetics, an obligation that I have in this industry is to say, what am I supporting while not taking away other function that our pet needs? So the cruciate brace is very specifically designed to do just one thing, stop the lower limb, the tibia, from thrusting forward and twisting internally. That's it.
0: (laughs) That's and a, I want to interject that's, that's here, too. This very is a, important. Min, a minuscule movement. I mean, we're not talking about gross restriction right. of, of of a movement that, um, you know, this, the ligament that is deficient yeah. is controlling millimeters of movement. So yes. to your point, Martin, how do, you, how do you restrict the abnormal minute millimeters of movement Mm-hmm. without taking away overall range of
2: motion, right.
0: and thus function.
2: Well, first I'll say that I have developed a lot of gray hairs thinking about <laughs> it He's, up
1: late, it. He's up late at night thinking about it.
2: <laughs> uh, I have, yes, for many years I have done that, yes. Um, but let's just use some fun terms here first, and we'll break it down. Um, what we're saying for the cruise ship race, most common thing that we build, number one, we do not want to restrict osteokinematics, the the general movement of that stifle joint, and we could argue the same is true for the hip and the ankle, the tarsus joint. We don't want to restrict normal motion. In fact, we want to promote normal motion. So you can get back out doing the things that you do when you're running around with the brace. We do want to restrict abnormal arthrokinematics. And that means we're talking specifically about how the femur and the tibia relate to one another during active loading. So you have these competing goals. Don't prevent, take away or restrict normal motion while taking away and preventing abnormal motion of a joint. So the way we do that is a very clever design, I will have to say. I am biased, and that's true. <laughs> um, <but Candy>. it's, <laughs> I think I've heard that, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's being very true to the complex motion of the stifle joint, Uh, a common uh, mistake that other folks who have tried to do what I do have made, is to think that the canine or other species stifle joint is a single pivot point hinge. We could maybe talk about the tarsus joint in that manner or an elbow joint, where there's a fixed point about which the joint rotates. And that's far from the truth. That stifle is a complex joint that moves and glides across this long femoral arc, Mm -hmm. Uh, knowing the, the mechanics of the stifle and then using very specialized hinges that allow this global motion to occur, but have specific tensile strength and properties that specifically resist that forward shearing of the tibia. So it's using those two perspectives, osteokinematics must be normal. Our dog must be able to sit, stand, run, jump, play, turn without restriction, but then take away this shearing underneath. Um, And that distinction, knowing that there's a difference between bones generally moving versus what is happening within the joint, becomes the primary way to solve for Micromotion, as you said, very very correctly, only millimeters of translation, but also abnormal compression side to side against those little menisci. Dealing with the arthrokinematics separate from the osteokinematics gives you this solution uh, where others have not been able to accomplish.
0: Well, congratulations!
1: Oh, it's it's a it's a great it, it's. It's it definitely I, I'm going to have I'm going to say it again, Marla. it's a superior, <laughs> a superior Thank you, yeah. uh, praising, you, um, uh, you know, and, and we I've used it on uh, uh, many, many occasions with many patients who have done so well with it. Um, and it, it, I think you know, the other thing that that's great, again, that we talked about is that. Um, you know if owners owners have the support too they have the support of of ortho that they can uh call and talk to their case manager and they have the support of their veterinary rehab team uh to make it you know to get the best possible outcomes for them
2: yes
0: i remember the first uh ccl brace i saw was a new client that came in she already had the, the brace in hand uh, from orthopets, and it was uh, by norman's great vein. and coming from the human world I was like, wow, this looks so similar Uh to the ACL braces that I was seeing with the the athletes that I was treating at the University of Colorado. So, you know, it was not a huge leap, especially to see it on that scale. You know, I'm like, I could could picture, you know, what it was doing biomechanically. It was so easy to put on. The, you know, dog stood there like a statue, tolerated everything. Great. And Mm -hmm. yeah. I was
2: like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, and That actually is uh, uh, an interesting observation that coming from the human side. We see a Great Dane who weighs 130 pounds. Uh, in our mind, we're thinking of a teenage kid. <laughs> not a, big, not a big Asian. Uh, My challenge is when it's the three pound Yorkie. Uh, we uh-huh. don't have that on the human side. That's interesting to me. Big dogs uh, yeah. are small children and, and they're fun, but not exciting.
0: Yeah, <laughs> everything done in miniature is much much harder. I think, yeah. you know, getting that right. Yes. So, so let's talk a little bit about. Um, you also have braces for for other joints. Um, I saw on the website elbow, uh, ankle or tarsus and paw, wrist or carpus and paw. Um, anything else that you want to comment yeah. on as far as that goes, and the other yeah. joints that you support?
2: yeah so uh the the lower limbs so uh elbows, wrist, which is the carpus uh on the back leg uh the knee, the stifle ankle, the tarsus uh those are the primary uh, just so many injuries occur in those joints uh there's a specific injury that we treat uh with the shoulder uh these uh athletic dogs mostly. Uh, have an injury to the interior the inside surface of their shoulder medial shoulder instability so we have a product for that um, the the other product lines that we offer are more neurological based so for the back legs uh, these assistive devices uh, that connect to a little boot and a little cuff to lift up a back leg that's beginning to knuckle beginning to drag on the ground now mm-hmm. uh, we call them the toe-ups Um, that's another item that we carry then beyond that we have a fun one uh for our our senior patients or our neurological patients that are just having a hard time getting traction in their house we have Mm -hmm. these little grip slippers Uh, i was fed up with the dog boots that didn't stay on paws, so i decided to make my own and uh, we found this really grippy rubber Soling material that we can sew onto a little neoprene boot, uh, huh. so we can have little dogs cruising around without the sliding and the falling right
1: inside. we we're passionate about traction we, we did yes. a whole show on traction and yes. um, in preventing injuries from slipping and splaying and it's it really is important, and I don't think people always think about their dog's ability to gain traction when moving about the home, but it's super important so people listen to our traction show as well. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: yeah. Less the hardwood floors, but boy, it's a dangerous place.
1: It's a dangerous place to be.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, and you know, this whole thing about talking about quality of life and function, you cannot function if you're slipping and, and sliding around. So it all, it all starts there. Um, so that, that's awesome. I also noticed on, on some of your adaptive devices, Martin, that uh, there's a lot more length, um than other companies that
2: I've seen, um, so yeah, there's a reason why yeah, the uh, uh, so adaptive devices and and when we're just really being uh, I'll call it being creative to the individual uh, patient, there's just so many different ways that we can meet the need of the individual patient uh, when we get to build stuff. Uh, so we have those little neoprene wraps that we make to stabilize for little injuries but also uh, the the privilege that we have to just see this one patient who has this really unique presentation. Let's figure out a way to apply basic mechanics and create a solution that works. Mm-hmm. It gives us the, the, the breadth of solutions because we can just make it ourselves.
0: And then that's more compression too, like the forces distributed over a larger area uh, with having that increased length on the limb of the of the sleeves and things, I,
2: I would yes. think. And, yeah. Yes. Um, so there's, right, we look at compression, when we think about our, our wraps, uh, both as a way to, to gain compression that's comfortable, absolutely, but I would also argue giving this new sensory feedback to help mm. our patients who now have lost some of those little connections in their ligaments where they don't mm. feel those end motions that should not be a, t- achieved. To be able to feel that differently and interpret that differently, so it's like giving them a new way to sense the movement of their limbs, Mm. and we see that. that. Yeah, that increased proprioceptive feedback is what we're talking Mm -hmm. about.
1: Yes, so important.
2: Yeah, it allows them to experience movement differently and stop themselves before they go too far.
0: So. As we're approaching the end of the interview here, Martin, can you just kind of hit the high point of what the process is that a pet owner would go through? So in other words, um, they first need to approach their veterinarian. Um, People can't just call up orthopets and say, hey, I need a a brace. Uh, So can you kind of go through the A, Bs and Cs on that and what
2: the process is? Yep, you bet. Uh, because we, we do make uh, our devices custom, uh, that also implies that we're, we're making a device for a very specific reason. So this injury that's occurred, uh, the process always starts with the veterinarian, uh, whether that be your local uh, primary care doc or if that's the specialty doc. But it always starts with the veterinarian because we need that clear diagnosis and treatment goal. Now that we have the diagnosis and we have the treatment goals in hand the next step is a fiberglass impression that's made at the local doc's office or specialty hospital that model is what i get shipped to to me here at orthopeds. we scan that model and we create a 3d model of the patient's leg in my office that's where we get to engineer and design my device uh, mechanics onto that individual pet's leg, so now we can make one of our devices over the model that we made from this fiberglass impression that was sent to us. So there's other things that happen in that process, but importantly is that we understand why we're making this device, so that when we send it to the veterinarian to be fit and off to the rehab, a professional, we have clear instructions of how to use it, what to expect. And that initial device device acclimation can occur.
1: You know, we get we get um, sometimes when the process of casting or cast molding these dogs, like we don't always get it exact, and 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 sometimes it's sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I have patients that move. Sometimes they don't. You know they can't stand, or, and sometimes they just don't get it right um, for whatever reason. And it can be off just a little bit. Can or the pets make that adjustment if I make if I make a, a an error in my my casting or it doesn't quite fit right when we get it back? Can we send it back and get it adjusted?
2: Oh, absolutely. And it's also important to again back to the collaborative approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The alignment and the, the impression of the pet slim is so important as that 's the shape that we 're using to build from, so there 's always value to uh, to take our time to make sure that 's correct. but it also means uh, we 're dealing with a dynamic uh, situation here we don 't always have a way to predict the outcome of how our pet moves in the device. so part of our service is to be able to offer complementary adjustments. So that we can find and solve for these dynamic variables that you just can't predict all the time.
1: Right. Right. And you do make it easy. I mean, you have some very good, clear instructions. Um, And I I've actually, you know, encountered some um, some other colleagues who have been sort of intimidated by by the casting process, you know, when they read about it. And And it's just so clear. I mean. There's video, there's step-by-step, step, don't forget this, don't forget this, here's your checklist. Really it really, it, it may seem daunting, but it really isn't. It's, it's actually very well laid out for me as to how to instruct me to get the right, you know, the right measurements and have everything prepared for orthoped. So it's really laid out quite nicely.
2: Yeah, I will credit my grandfather for that outcome, <laughs> helping me understand the importance of just walking Checklist by checklist from start. Get to Get
1: that checklist, yeah. <laughs>
2: and then you know, you can walk it through.
1: That's my top page when I get all my instructions. Like checklist, <laughs> yes. I get everything there.
2: <laughs> you got
0: it. Despite, that, I mean, which, which is great. You also utilize OrthoPets partner clinics, mm-hmm. and these are throughout the U.S. and internationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, us as practitioners can send our patients to if we are not confident in the process, is that right? Is that
2: how that works? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, my, my larger vision for, for what Orthopets does in the veterinary community is to establish local partnerships in major cities across the U.S. and across the globe so that our animal friends can go to a place that has rehabilitation therapy that specializes in these kinds of devices. Uh, We want to make sure that we offer on-site, if you will, on-ground veterinarians and rehab professionals who know how to help our patients recover function, uh, and especially when we're doing it with orthotics and prosthetics. So we like that outreach. We like the physical presence. But more importantly, we love the collaboration with all of our rehab and veterinary professionals. Uh, we're, We're stronger together as a community. Right
0: can you provide just a ballpark for our listeners as to what they could expect in terms of cost? Yeah, you know, maybe yeah, orthotic versus prosthetic and and maybe even how that might compare, you know, to a surgical intervention.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about orthotics first. And we would expect for all these different types of injuries and limb segments, an average cost is somewhere around $750. To upwards of $1,200. And that price, that cost is that entire process of engineering, building, designing, and then the follow-up care and those, those complementary adjustments that happen once you have a device. Because so, when you really look at it, uh, when we just even think about a dog in a cast for eight weeks recovering from surgery, uh, when you just look at that cost, that's already close to that that basic estimate anyway just in that aspect of treatment the more important thing i think for orthotics is that you can build a device that meets the need of a cast like solution at the beginning but then it can become a sports brace for years in the future so you can have both types of solutions built into one custom device Mm -hmm. plus the expertise and the the consultation and the aftercare uh, because it's most important to us to see that our pets are out there recovering comfort and function. Um, so it, it makes sense for us here, and it's our way to, to make a positive impact in the veterinary community. Right. Our uh, prosthetic uh, solutions, those are a little more expensive. as a lot of engineering goes into these. Uh, they're usually between $1,500 to $2,000. And that speaks to, again, that whole process of building a prosthesis and that follow-up care, which tends to be more intense as there's just more variables going on than they are in the uh, orthotic world. Although I will say prosthetics tend to be easier to use in the long run, uh, which I do find interesting. Hmm. That is interesting. I wonder why that is. That you're working against, and once you've figured out alignment and suspension, it becomes pretty easy uh, mm. for our pets to take <laughs> take control of their device, just like Jerry the goat did.
1: Just like Jerry, yeah. <laughs> Jerry's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. Jerry, <laughs> yeah. so. Yeah.
0: I think it's a great, a great value. And when you compare it, you yeah. know, especially out here on the East coast, you know, the cost of surgeries and mm-hmm. rehabilitation and so forth. I mean, it adds up very quickly and you're, you know, easily looking at thousands of dollars. So, um, you know, this is a, a lifelong, um, you know, commitment and, and advice that, that like you said, that they mm-hmm. can use for the rest of their lives. And so, you know, and, and that, we can put it down that way, you know, the daily cost becomes, Mm -hmm. you know, nominal,
1: less than pennies. Right. And for, and for us and for Jerry's mom, the the cost compared to uh, Jerry's quality of life Mm -hmm. um, and, and Jerry's ability to move around and be a goat and Jerry, I mean, if, if, if Jerry's a very, Social, very curious, very intelligent. I didn't realize it goes for this fantastic until I met Jerry, actually. Uh, Now I know for sure, Uh but um, you know, the, and, and, and their commit, and your commitment to Jerry. So Jerry's got a, he's got a committed team here for the rest of Jerry's life. But again, the cost compared to what, what Jerry's getting out of this, uh, this, this orthotic is, is really, I mean, you can't compare it,
2: you know, and there's an interesting yeah. piece here uh, that really speaks to the, uh, the opportunity for these orthotic and prosthetic devices. It's, it's one of the few things that our owners have where they are the ones who get to put these on and provide comfort and function to right. their every day.
1: Yep. Uh,
0: it's they're, in- they're empowered. They're empowered. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 They're part of the process. They're part of the whole team. Yeah. And, and and a big part of the team, honestly, <laughs> a big big part of the team. Yes. Yeah, Martin, so,
0: tell, um, tell us a little bit about. I hope I'm pronouncing that's right, Nokia, the oh, world. Oh
1: yes. Yeah, the world. I'd love to hear first. about Nokia. Yeah,
0: ah, yeah. uh, with four aesthetic mm-hmm. lens. Uh, he your poster child, uh, right on the front page of your, your yeah. website. So yeah, yeah, tell us that story.
2: Yeah, and and why I love. Uh, Nikio's case is he was, uh, I would say one of the, uh, he was the case that really showed me uh, where I was wrong in my thinking, and the mistakes that I had been making about just the philosophy of working on animals. And I say that to say Nikio lost all four lower limb segments from frostbite. Uh, he was abandoned in a in a house, frozen in the basement, um, okay. with some siblings. When he was growing up, um, you, you couldn't use the little soft booties anymore. He was getting too big. He needed prosthetics. And when we first started working with Nikio, the question was, well, how many prosthetics can you make for a dog? And which legs do you start with? How do you even think it through? And we had started by saying, well, let's just make some prosthetics for the legs that were the most affected. So we started with his front legs and he did better but he didn't do great. So then we ended up then making his backlight prosthetics and then he started to do great. And in that whole process, Nikio showed me that it's not okay to underestimate the willingness, the drive and the determination of our animal friends. (laughs) And, and for that, I will be very grateful. He was such such an inspiration of his willingness to overcome uh, and achieve are things that I, I just find amazing.
0: If you go to the website, he is smiling with his, yeah. with his legs, his new legs, you know. So, yeah. you know, for yeah. those of you out there that think, oh, this is, you know, torturous or, mm. you know, they're going to be, you know, uncomfortable. I hope we've dispelled that myth through this interview. But, uh, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. So when you see him with
2: this more yeah. aesthetic lens, it's pretty amazing. And we'll
1: just, uh we'll put that in our show notes so that people can go right to or their pets and t- see those videos
2: and to know just like how you described jerry's transformation Nikia went from a very guarded not that he was aggressive but he was painful and mm-hmm. uh, he didn't like a lot of people near him he went from that personality and that emotional state to fun loving hanging out with children and interacting <sighs> with people
1: oh, that's great. His whole life changed. this whole life changed.
2: When you see that change, you know the responsibility that we all have to serve our animal friends.
1: So uh,
0: we'll conclude here, and uh, I just want our audience to know that the Orthopets website, Orthopets.com, is awesome. There are there's so much information, but also great uh, testimonials, wonderful pictures and videos. Um, so check that out. It will be as Kathy mentioned in our show notes. And um, I've said in previous episodes, I'm a lover of statistics. So I I just wanted to mention this because I think it's phenomenal that you are doing an average of 180 cases per month. That's right. (laughs) Over 25,000 cases in 35 countries.
2: Yeah.
1: Fantastic.
0: at At this time. I mean, this is huge so yet another alternative way we can help our animal friends as you say so thank you for doing the work that you do
2: yeah yeah our pleasure and i i think that's when i hear those numbers and i think about the the significance of the impact it's humbling but it's also important to say that if, if we could just remember one thing i would say it's it's always about the one We've served thousands and thousands of patients, and that's true, uh, but it's always about that next one case because that's the patient that we need to serve. Thanks for having me and letting me be a part of this uh, discussion. It's was a great. Right.
1: It was great to talk with you, and and um, you know, I, and we've I've, I've collaborated with you on many occasions. So I have to say, it was great to actually see your face for the first time. <laughs> I've never actually seen you, and um, thank you for all the care and and effort that you put into taking care of the patients that we send you. Um, you're 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 changing the lives of these animals, and you know, and and I think my friend Jerry uh, would also thank you. I mean maybe he's, he's he's a funny guy but maybe he would um i think he would though because his life is you know it's back on track and he's he's doing goat things so that's that's great so thank you very much
2: absolutely That's why we do it it's, it's why we do it. absolutely well have a great rest of the day thank you so much for this opportunity
1: thanks martin bye bye thank you for joining us we hope you enjoyed our show follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at Petability Podcast. For more information about Kathy's
0: books and living with blind dogs, please go to enableyourpet.com. Thank you and please tune in next time.